This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Scripture this morning is from Acts, verses 8 through uh, 4 through 8. Chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. As you get older, you start to carry more baggage. As you can see, I got some baggage up here. The, the, this is to keep me on time, so I'm going to do my best to, to stay on time for you all today. Just know that uh, I'm, I practice and rehearse this, and uh, I just may go over time a little bit, but I know that you'll uh, forgive me. When I was thinking about how to introduce myself today, I wasn't sure how. Um, and Todd said that there's pastors coming all the way from Kenya. Well, I'm not all the way from Kenya. I'm all the way from Skyline Drive. And my name is uh, Brian Hagee. And, you know, you always want to make a, a resounding boom when you get up on the stage. And I was just trying to, how am I important? And then I thought, oh, yeah, I just got uh, elected to the leadership team two weeks ago. So I am now an official member of the leadership team of this church. And I thank you very much for your vote. And if you didn't vote for me, you weren't at the meeting and somebody else voted for me in your place. So I'm sorry you didn't get a chance to vote. But I am, uh, I am part of the leadership team. Don't, don't think that's too important. It's only about two weeks, uh, two weeks old. So, um, and the other thing uh, today is so awesome because uh, Timmy came up and, and helped me with something that I've been struggling with. And that is that uh, I've reached the age of 45 and I can no longer see anything without my own glasses. And so this is the first time that I'm going to be in the public spectrum wearing glasses. A little self-confident. Uh, conf- what is the word? Self-conscious, yes. But uh, I'm going to have to do it because I can't see anything if I don't have my glasses on anymore. All right. So here we go. Here goes the glasses, and here we go. Get ready. Thank you. And if I kind of look like I'm squinting at you, it's because I can't see anything uh, far away with my glasses on. All right. Some of you know the struggle I'm having. Okay, what uh, Acts 8, 4 through 8, we just read. And I'm actually going to have to take them off because I can't see you guys. <laughs> Acts 8, 4 through 8 uh, is what we just read. And I want to use this as a backdrop of what I want to talk about today. Um, and in order to do that, I have to give you just a little bit of summary about what's gone on in Acts. And, and we know that Todd has been speaking through uh, Acts for us, Acts chapter 1 through 7, and we're now to, ch- to chapter 8. And what we've seen um, as a backdrop of that are two verses that I want, want you to hear before we get going. And one is Matthew twenty eight nineteen, and I'll just read it to you. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, 
teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. These are some of Jesus' last words after, after he was resurrected. He was meeting with his disciples and he was telling his disciples, go into all nations and tell them about who Jesus was. And then just before he went up into heaven in front of, in front of their eyes in Acts 1, chapter, or verse 8, it says, but you will receive power, power, when you receive the Holy Spirit and he has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. So Jesus had a program. Jesus had an idea. Jesus had a plan, all orchestrated by God. And from the time when he went up into heaven, the Holy Spirit was going to come down, and these men were going to be empowered to be great witnesses, first of all, in the core area of Jerusalem, then in the north in Samaria, in the south in Judea, and then to all the ends of the earth. And right now we're still in that thought process of the ends of the earth. And so we see uh, in, in Acts this unfolding before our very eyes, chapter 1 through 7. We see that the core area of Jerusalem, which is where these men were, when the Spirit of God came upon them in Pentecost, when the fiery tongues came down and laid upon them, and the rushing wind of the Holy Spirit came upon them, and men, Jews from all over the world, were meeting in Jerusalem, and they heard the, their own languages, the gospel of Jesus Christ being preached from these men who just received the Holy Spirit. And from that point in time, these men, they went out into Jerusalem and they spread the word of God just like Jesus told them that they would. And we hear that multitudes were being saved. When Peter spoke the first time, 3,000 were saved. We hear in another part of Acts uh, in, in 1 through 7, 5,000 were saved. Another verse says that multitudes were saved. So many, many men and women were being saved there in Jerusalem. And that was just the beginning because from there it was going to go to Samaria, Judea, and then all the ends of the earth. And as the, as the Christians got together, they began to uh, work together. They began to learn together. They began to be taught together. They began to support each other. They began to sell land and give things to each other. So everybody, everybody's needs were met. And it was an amazing time in Jerusalem. And so this is the backdrop of what's happening here in Acts 1 through 7, is that Jerusalem is hearing the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. And now, as we get into chapter uh, chapter 8, we're going to start seeing the next part of what Jesus said unfold as uh, men begin to leave Jerusalem and go out into, uh, into other parts of the world, starting with Samaria. And the reason that they're going out into um, Judea and Samaria and they're, they're leaving Jerusalem is because there is a great persecution in the church as, as the Jewish leaders began to realize what is happening here, what is going on with this following of Jesus Christ, and they started to get more and more upset about what was going on. They started to develop a plan on how they could persecute these guys and get them to stop talking about who Jesus was. And of course, this was all part of the plan. This is all part of God's plan. Jesus told them that this was going to happen way back in his ministry in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. He said that you will be persecuted for me. If you speak about me, you will be persecuted. I guarantee it. And so these men knew that they were going to have persecution in their life. As a matter of fact, they walk with Jesus in persecution. The Jewish people hated Jesus. They went after Jesus. And they watched as Jesus himself was persecuted. As they came and got him in the garden. And one of his disciples tried to uh, or cut off an ear. They saw how Jesus healed that man. And then they grabbed Jesus. And they brought him before the leaders. And they started to beat him. They spit at him. They slapped him. They stuck a crown of thorns on his head. They pushed it into his head. They whipped him and whipped him until his back was bleeding and looked like hamburger meat. And then they stuck him on a cross. They knew exactly what persecution was about. And yet they still talked about 
the gospel of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. And because of this persecution, because they were doing that in Jerusalem, they were persecuted. And the Bible says they were scattered out of Jerusalem. God's plan. Why? Because he wanted the people to leave Jerusalem and then to continue his plan of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. And we see this man named Philip in, uh, in the verses that were read, this man named Philip, who is used, uh, a great man of God, who is used to go into Samaria and talk to those uh, in Samaria. And another great uh, revival was happening there. So this is the backdrop of, uh, of what we're talking about. And this is amazing stuff as we get into what I would like to talk about, and that's Acts, 26, or Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through 40. And this is where the majority of, of my time is going to be spent uh, as we see this backdrop of Acts four, uh, in the verses 4 through 8 in chapter 8. And I'm going to talk about 26 through 40. Okay. So this concept, I'd like to, to, to talk about a concept of, of ripening fruit. You know, in the, in the Bible, Jesus talks about a great harvest where people will come to know him. Where people, where people will be ripened for him and a great harvest will happen where many men and women will come to the knowledge and understanding of who Jesus Christ is. And that is happening and it's going to continue to happen. And just like we look at a piece of fruit that's not, that's not ripe, I think about uh, Costco fruit. I don't know. Many, probably many of you guys buy your stuff at Costco. I want to give you a pointer. Are you ready for this? Okay, this is very important. Costco will take back fruit that is no good. Did you know that? If you buy something and it's no good, even if you like eat two or three of the 10 things that you buy, like 10 apples or whatever, if the rest is not good, you can take that package back to Costco and they'll give you your money back. Did you know that? If you didn't know that, then maybe that's the most important thing you're going to learn today. But do it. Try it. And as you get this Costco fruit, sometimes you just take a bite of it. Like the peaches sometimes, you just go, ah, this is horrible. This fruit is terrible. It's not ripe at all. And just like in the, in the physical realm, when something is not ready, it's the same thing in the spiritual realm. And I'm talking about the heart. When a person's heart is not ready for the words of Jesus Christ, it's like a piece of unripe fruit. It's just not ready. It's not prepared yet. And I want to talk about this concept as we go through this story about the Ethiopian and about a person's heart being ready. Because just as we can't make the fruit ripe, we can't make another person's heart ready for the good news of Jesus Christ. That's God's job. And you know what? That takes all of the pressure off. It's God's job. He's going to prepare the hearts. He's going to make them ready. And then as Christians, it's for us to come uh, and help with the harvest. But when they are ready, what we can do as Christians is we can love them. We can serve them. We can teach them about who Jesus is. And as their hearts are open to God, then they can receive the good news of Jesus Christ. And you know what? If you're, if you're a Christian today, this morning, then you probably know that this is true about God ripening you. I mean, we can look back in our lives and we can see where God has been, can't we? I mean, you can look back in your life and you can see how God orchestrated the plan of your life to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. You can see how he brought people into your lives. He brought the situations into your lives. He put you in a position where you finally understood that this is who you needed. It was Jesus Christ who you needed in your life. When we look forward, sometimes it's a little harder to see that um, in our lives about where God's going. But we can certainly see where he has been. 
And if you're not a Christian this morning, then maybe this is part of your story today. Maybe me speaking in front of you is part of this process. I'm honored that you're here to, to hear what I'm saying. And what I'm saying may be part of the process as he prepares you for a lifetime relationship with Jesus Christ. As he prepares your heart to understand who he is and what you can become in him. All right, so let's read this. This is an awesome story. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in uh, Acts 8, 26 through, uh, right now I'm reading 26 to 29. Is that what we have up there? Great. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south, to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. The, the title of the, my sermon today is Powered by the Spirit for Evangelism. And when I say evangelism, I want to break it down and make it really easy. Are you ready? Evangelism. David, you ready? All right, man, here goes. Evangelism. When a Christian talks to a non-Christian about Jesus. That's it. So simple, so easy. When a Christian talks to a non-Christian about Jesus... You see, we see a man in process, a man that's ripened and ready for God. And then we see another man who is the Ethiopian. And then we see another man, Philip, who is going to meet that guy in that place where he's ripened and ready. He's going to share who Jesus is to that man. And why is this story so awesome? I mean, we have some awesome stories in the Bible. Wouldn't you agree? But this story is awesome. Why is it awesome? Because this is when somebody becomes a Christian. Do you realize the awesomeness of that? Do you remember the awesomeness of that in your life when you first became a Christian? This is when a man becomes a Christian. It says in uh, Luke, I believe it is, I have it written down, Luke 15, 7, that there will be more joy over one sinner, one sinner coming to the knowledge and understanding of Jesus Christ than 99 righteous people who already know who Jesus is. There'll be more joy for that one sinner coming to Christ. And this is what this is. This is what this is. This Ethiopian man is going to come to Jesus Christ. It's incredible. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> no matter what is going on in your life today, I can say with all passion and all truth and all honesty, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Christian or non-Christian, you need Jesus. The most important thing, more than anything, more than everything, is that we need Jesus. And you know what? It doesn't matter if you're a patriarch or a matriarch in this church, 90 years old, 80 years old, it doesn't matter if you're there. You still need Jesus. I met with Ruth Partlow on Thursday night. She died on Friday night. My wife and I were there. It was an awesome time. It was so neat to be in her house. Her family was there. People were coming. This was a matriarch of this church, Ruth Partlow. And we loved her, Janelle, and I loved her. She was like a, a second mom to us, a grandma to our kids. We spent five years with them in small group. They were one of the ones that brought us to this church in 1995. Ruth invited Janelle to be part of this church when it was 15 to 20 people meeting in the top of... Uh, the Holy Spirit Episcopal Church on, on Eagle River Loop Road there. She was instrumental in us being part of this church. And as we were there, she was weak, obviously, for those of you who went to meet her. She was weak, and 
uh, she just wanted to to tell us about this song that was in her wedding or her parents' wedding. She couldn't remember the song, and she kind of just started singing it to us. The last words that I heard from Ruth, and she she sang this song. She said, "Jesus." Just in her broken, Jesus led me all the way. And she just kept singing that over and over and over again. And I thought, yes, Ruth, yes. You need Jesus. Even at the very end of your life, you need Jesus. And we know that she was a lover of Jesus. But even if you're a matriarch or patriarch of the church, you need Jesus just like Ruth Partlow needed Jesus. To the very end, she needed Jesus Christ. If you're a kid or you have little kids, you need Jesus Starting from very young, you need Jesus. It says in the Bible that Jesus says, let all the children come to me. We need Jesus from when we're kids until we're ready to go and be with him. We need Jesus. Why? Because he's the most important thing. He's more than anything. And we get to see this in this story as the camera zooms in on this Ethiopian man. You know, in Acts 1 through... In Acts 1 uh, through... Seven, the chapters 1 through 7, we see a lot of uh, crowd stuff, big crowds, 5,000, 3,000, multitudes, lots of people. And now the cameras turn from the multitudes and it zooms in on this one man and this one man's heart, this Ethiopian. And what it, what it says about that, what, what, it, what that says about God is that we realize that God just doesn't care about crowds, but he cares about the individual. He doesn't care about just about multitudes. He cares about faces. He cares about your face and my face. He cares about us. He loves faces and he loves you. He loves me. And if you don't know Jesus, let me tell you that he loves you. He loves you. He loves to seek you. He loves to serve you. And he wants to save you, just like this Ethiopian man. Not because you are great, but because he's great. Not because you deserve it, but because he's full of mercy and full of grace. And he wants to be in relationship with you and with me. So, what I'd like to do is examine these four characters we have four characters here. We have the angel, we have the Ethiopian, we got Philip, and we got the Holy Spirit. Let's talk e- about each one really quick from Acts 20, uh, 8, 26 to 29. All right, we know that the angel just shows up, and he speaks, and he says, Rise and go toward the south. Go from Jerusalem to Gaza. You know, Philip was up there in Samaria. Samaria is only about 30 to 40 miles from Jerusalem to the north. And then Gaza is about 30 to 40 miles to the south. Obviously, he was doing ministry up in Samaria. He came from Samaria and the great revival that was happening there. Back to Jerusalem, the Bible says earlier. And now he's sent from Jerusalem back to Gaza, out to this road in the middle of the desert. But this angel that's talking to him, I just want to briefly talk just a little bit about angels. Do you know that angels are real? Do you know that angels are real? That in the Bible we see angels. All over the Bible we see angels. And we know that angels are not God. That they have much different attributes than God. Did you know that angels are not eternal? But they have a beginning point in time and in history? We have, there are two types of angels. And I'm only going to discuss this briefly. But there are holy angels and then there are fallen angels. Holy angels are those angels that are ministers of God or messengers of God. As ministers of God, they serve. And then as messengers of God, they speak. And in this case, this angel is what? A messenger of God. He's going to speak, right? He's going to come and tell Philip what to do. But also, there, did you know that there are fallen angels? 
This is real. There are fallen angels. The Bible tells us that in the Old Testament times, there were angels who were proud and rebellious. They were self-righteous. And you know what? They wanted to be like God. I'm spitting. Not only did they want to be like God, they wanted to be God. Did you know that? And God took them and he cast them out of heaven. And those angels that are fallen angels are called demons and Satan himself. We live in a supernatural world. I just want you to know we live in a supernatural world where there are angels and there are fallen angels and there, is, there are demons and there is Satan. And Satan wants nothing more than for you not to know about Jesus Christ. That's all he wants in whatever way he can do it. Keep you busy, neutralize you, just make you not believe. Whatever he can do, he's going to do it. Two types of angels, and we see this one as a holy angel, a, a messenger of God, speaking to Philip. Realize that we, because of this, because there's two types of spirits in this world, we need to test the spirits, it says in John First uh, John 4, 1. It says, test the spirits to see if they're from God. And in First John 4, 2, it says, every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So everything that we have in our life, everything that we see in our culture that is not confessing Jesus as God is from the fallen spirits. It is from the demonic. It is from Satan himself. I want you to know that it's very real. And we need to test any spirituality against God's word. Why? Because not all spirituality is good. Not all spirituality is good. And we know that looking around in our world. We see things like the New Age movement, all types of things. Not all spirituality is good. But this, in this case, this angel is a messenger. And he is good. And he has a simple message. And it says, go. No details. No, not even an indication of the mission. Are, are you getting that in the story? He doesn't even tell Philip why he's gone. He just says, get your rear end up. Get out of Jerusalem and get out there on that desert road. I'll tell you what's going to happen later. And you know what Philip does? Boom, he's gone. He's on the road. And w- when we see him coming up to the chariot here in a second, he's running. So I don't know if he just took off jogging the 30 miles or what, but he's on his way. And then we come to the Ethiopian This Ethiopian's a cool guy. The more I got to, to learn about him and understand him, the more I like him. But I learned uh, in, in, the, in some study that this Ethiopian man, guess what? He's not the skinny guy that you picture that needs food. And you know, he's, he's one of these poor, poor uh, African guys that we see in all the pictures. And I'm not laughing at the fact that people are starving in the world, please. But this guy is actually not like that. He comes from a rich culture, and it's actually the northern part of Sudan in Africa at that point in time. And it says that he's a high official of uh, this uh, queen of the Ethiopians. And it, it tells us that he's castrated. Do you know what castrated means, guys? I mean, it's a eunuch. It says he's a eunuch. And we know that being a eunuch means that he's castrated. Okay, and if you can think about this job description that he, that he had uh, when he was going for this job in with this queen, think about this for a second. Okay, uh, you're you're interviewing here for the chief financial officer uh, of our kingdom. Is that is that right, Mister Ethiopian? Yes, yes. And uh, are you good at math? Yes, I'm very good at math. Uh, are you an accountant? Yes, I'm quite an accountant. I have quite a history of uh, accountancy. 
and uh, I'm doing really well at that. And, okay, well, that's excellent. I think that you'd be an excellent candidate, but do you realize that uh, you're going to have to be castrated for this position? Castrated? Are you kidding me? Yeah, you're going to have to be castrated. Well, why is that? Well, let me tell you why. You see, I'm the king of this, uh, of this nation here, and, you know, I got, a harem, I got a harem. I got a wife, a queen. Got some princesses. Anybody who's going to work in my court, guess what? I don't want them touching my women. So if you want this job, you're going to have to lose the family jewels, if you know what I mean. And that's exactly what's going on here. That's exactly what's going on. This man, this eunuch, this Ethiopian is a bigwig here. He's working for this, this godless queen and king in a godless nation. As a matter of fact, some of my reading indicated that the king himself would be worshipped as a god in that culture. And so he's coming from uh, quite a godless place. In his country, he's highly esteemed. But in the Jewish culture, he would be low, lowly esteemed. Why is that? Because, and this is something interesting I didn't know, but in the Jewish, in, in the Jewish culture, the Jewish bloodline, the pure Jewish bloodline is very, very important. And the reason that the pure Jewish bloodline is very important is because the true Jew believes that the Messiah can come through any one of their bloodlines. And so you have to keep the bloodline pure. You have to keep the bloodline pure. And you have to be a family man. You have to have children in order to pass down the bloodline to the, to the generations after. And so this man in the Jewish culture would be looked upon as a lowly man because he wouldn't be able to have children. Children are a blessing. And anyone who wouldn't be able to have children would not be able to understand the will of God and the ways of God. And so this man would be very a lowly man in the, in the Jewish culture. We don't know much about this man Maybe a little bit of facts, but we do know that this man has been ripening to receive Jesus. You know, he just took a trip from northern Sudan all the way up to Israel, or to Jerusalem, it says, and now he's on his way back. According to my research, depending on which part of Sudan he was going to at that time, could be between, between 200 miles and 1,000 miles from Jerusalem. Now, I don't know about you, but 1,000 miles is a long way when you're in a chariot. Do you know a 1,000 miles is from Seattle down to L.A.? That's approximately a 1,000 miles. That's a long, stinking way to be traveling on roads that are made of rock and dirt all the way from uh, Sudan up to Israel and Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, I did some calculations because I like math. A 1,000 miles today is about 17 hours if you go nonstop, Seattle to L.A., 17 hours in the car. Some of you are gonculating because you don't have anything better to do. Is that really true? Yes, that's true. Okay, I calculated that by chariot, you're going to go about 5 miles an hour if you're lucky. And if you did that, you would travel about uh, 16 and a half days if you traveled 12 hours nonstop at 5 miles per hour. I mean, this guy's probably traveling 20 to 25 days to get from Sudan up to Jerusalem so that he can study the the word of God. It says so he he can go up there and worship, it says there in uh, the end of uh, verse 27. So he's going to go up and worship. All indications are that he's seeking to understand Judaism. And he's going to Jerusalem to, to get a better grasp and understanding of what Judaism is. And there's great reason to believe that he would have a very cold reception up there. Why? First of all, because he's black. Jewish people didn't really like black people that much. Second of all, because he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. And third of all, because he's castrated. And they they thought that was ridiculous. A lowly person. 
So I can imagine this guy traveling 20 to 25 days up to Jerusalem. He gets there. He just wants somebody to teach him about Judaism and what the heck this Old Testament thing is. And I'm sure, I don't know for sure, but in my mind, I can see him being turned away at at all points. And I think that, that that's probably true as I see him on the way back now, and he's still reading his Old Testament, and he's still trying to figure this whole thing out. He doesn't really understand what's going on, as Philip is going to enlighten here in a minute. He's reading Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. And back then, in Old Testament, it would have been very difficult to get. No printing press yet. He's not a Jew it would have been very difficult for him to get one, a copy of one of this. And it's pro, it is not in his own language. It's either in Greek or it's in Hebrew. So it's in a totally different language. So I can sense the frustration of this Ethiopian, maybe his conversation with God. Ah, oh, God, I just traveled 20 to 25 days, man, to get up there to try to learn more about you. Nobody wanted to talk to me up there. I'm black, I'm a Gentile, and I, you know the other thing. I didn't get any information, and now I'm traveling back, and I hate this desert road. This stupid road. I just want to be back, and i got to travel another 15 days to get there. I know you're doing something in my life, God, but I can't figure it out. What is it? I need you to enlighten me here. What am I searching for? And then, boom, he looks over, and there's this guy jogging through the desert. Philip. And he goes running up to his chariot. I mean, it's almost to the point of ridiculous. And Philip enters the story. He's a godly guy. He's a, he's a, a, a guy we know from uh, back in Acts chapter 6. He's one of the seven who was assigned to care for the, the Hellenist widows. And he, uh, we are told that he is full of the spirit and of wisdom. And we see here that he was a man that would go wherever God called him. That's awesome. To be a man or a woman that will go wherever God calls you. When God called him out of Jerusalem to go to Samaria, he went. Do you know the Jews hated Samaritans? They despised the Samaritans. They didn't want anything to do with the Samaritans. I don't have time to, to talk about the history of that. But it was, it was ingrained in the, Jew, the, the true Jew, Jew that the Samaritans were like dog meat. He went there because God asked him to, and there was a great revival because of his preaching there. Many came to know Jesus Christ because of Philip going there and being used by God. And we, it's awesome to be a man of God who's willing to just go, no matter how uncomfortable. In Acts 8, 5, he's one of the scattered, and he goes up there to Samaria. He led the revival, and then immediately... He gets this angel in his life after, after Samaria, and he leaves without even understanding the plan. And God sends Philip uh, down to the middle of nowhere to talk to an Ethiopian. Why did he send him down there? He sent him down there for one person. For one person. Isn't it amazing that God loved this Ethiopian so much that he orchestrated a plan? He orchestrated a plan that had to do with an angel, had to do with Philip going in the middle of nowhere, had to do with this Ethiopian who's who's seeking God. He orchestrated this plan for this Ethiopian. Why? Because he loved this Ethiopian. He wanted this Ethiopian to know who Jesus Christ was so that Jesus Christ could be preached throughout the ends of the earth. 
It's known in, in common tradition that this Ethiopian, after he became a Christian, went down into Africa and led a great revival there where many, many people came to know Jesus Christ. And historically, we know that this region in Africa was a Christian region until about 1974 when, when Islam started to, to penetrate and take over and different leaders were elected there. This whole thing is for this one Ethiopian man. If you are not a Christian this morning, know that God can and will pursue you too. He loves you. You're worth it to him. He'll make a plan for you. He'll reveal himself to you in any way and any place that he chooses to. And Christian, I got a question for you. Are you willing to give your time to that one person that God is ripening? That one person in your life that God is ripening and making ready for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't all be Billy Grahams. We can't all go save multitudes. That's not really how God works with us anyways. Many times God asks us to pursue and love the one person that he sets before us. Just like he was asking Philip to do. Who is it in your life that you should be pursuing with the love of Christ? There's someone. Who is it? And are you pursuing that person with God's love, with all that you can? Two quick things to know. And I'm getting, I'm supposed to be getting to the end. We're getting closer. I'm going to just say these quickly. Two things to know, that God uses people to save people. You know what? God can save anybody he wants to. He's a sovereign God. He made you, he made me, he made this world, and he can save anybody he wants to, but he uses you and he uses me. Why? Because he wants us to be part of the joy that comes when somebody comes to the understanding of knowing Jesus Christ as their Savior. And he wants us to learn. He wants us to learn as we're part of that. Okay. And lastly, uh, the, the last thing person that I want to talk about here is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, it says in um, Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit's going to come and give us power to be witnesses The Holy Spirit is here to to get the good news of Jesus Christ out. He's mentioned frequently in Acts. And who is he? He's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He's a third person of the Trinity. He's God. He's a force, but he's also a person, this Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't inhabit a physical body, but he has feelings. He has a will. He can communicate. He's grieved and he can be resisted. He is God. He's not an impersonal force, but a personal God. A personal God sent to bring the message of God to God's people and sent to bring life and light in and through people like you and me. And he empowers us. He gives us the power to evangelize. What is evangelism? Just to go tell somebody else about Jesus. He gives you that power if you're a Christian and the Holy Spirit is inside of you. It begs a question, though, doesn't it? Why is it so hard if I'm a Christian and I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit to tell someone else who Jesus is, why is it so hard? Does anybody else feel like it's a little bit hard? I think one of the big things that keeps this difficult for us, and just give you this example for a second. Don't you think it'd be a little weird and a little hard for Philip to run up in the middle of a desert to a total stranger of another race and another culture another language, a rich government official, on a desert road in the middle of nowhere, on a chariot, reading an Old Testament, and castrated. Isn't that just a little bit awkward for Philip? A little bit awkward scenario? 
And oftentimes, we as non-Christians, we don't talk about Jesus because we feel awkward. But let me say this, and I'll say it twice. It's better to feel awkward and they meet Jesus than we don't feel awkward and they don't meet Jesus. It's better that we feel awkward and they meet Jesus than if we don't feel awkward and they don't meet Jesus. We need to get to the point where we will trade awkwardness for telling others about Christ anytime. We will overstep our awkwardness and we'll tell others about Jesus Christ anytime. Are you to that point in your life? I'll tell you what, it's difficult. It's difficult for me as a Christian. And I was thinking as I was doing this, I've been a Christian for 33 years. I became a Christian when I was 12. It's still difficult for me to tell others about Jesus. It's awkward. But I need to learn to step over my awkwardness and into what God has for me in telling others about Jesus Christ. Because he's ripening people all over this world. I got... I'm running out of time, but I'm going to tell a story anyway, because I think it's a pretty funny story. Yesterday, sorry, Todd. <laughs> Yesterday, um, I was uh, in L.A., an airline pilot for Alaska Airlines. I was in L.A., and uh, I went to Carl's Jr. My wife doesn't know this, but I go to Carl's Jr. all the time when I'm there. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, honey. <laughs> and I have Coke, too. Um, anyways, I was sitting in Carl's Jr., and this homeless guy walks in. You know, this is kind of weird because in L.A., uh, there's actually a dead guy on the sidewalk of our hotel in L.A. Uh, last week. But this is a rough place. I didn't tell you that either, sweetheart. But um, some guy got shot in, in the, get this, in the marijuana, the, uh, the, <laughs> the medical marijuana shop down the street. Some guy came in, tried to rip off uh, the, the the store got shot by the security guard came stumbling toward the hotel that where we stay at and fell right there in front of the hotel and died blood everywhere sheets covering him I walk outside they won't let me outside anyway that's a side story this is the kind of neighborhood I'm in and I walked into Carl's Jr luckily this is next week so there's no dead guys laying out there but I walked into Carl's Jr and I'm eating a hamburger and and my extra hamburger that I bought. I'm sorry, sweetheart. <laughs> okay, anyways, I'm feeding my face. And this hungry guy, this hungry homeless guy walks in. And no kidding, he's got his water bottle. And he goes over to the dispenser. He fills it up with water. He grabs at least 20 to 25 sugars and sweeteners. He just starts dumping it in his water. And he starts drinking. That doesn't have any money. He's not going to buy himself anything. And I'm thinking, yes, this is awesome. I'm going to make myself an example for my sermon tomorrow morning. I'm going to talk to this guy. I'm going to feed this guy. This is going to be awesome. Okay, so it wasn't that bad. Actually, I think the Holy Spirit told me, give this guy some lunch. I'm spitting again. Give this guy some lunch. So I was like, really? I I mean, he's kind of dirty and he smells, Lord. Get off your rear end and give this guy some lunch. As a matter of fact, give him anything that he wants. So I walked over to him. And, you know, when I was sitting there watching him feeding my face first, uh, I see him talking to himself, something, oh, God, I'm going to go over there and talk to him. He's not going to be able to converse with me. So I walk up to him, and I say, I said, how you doing, man? A black guy, tall, skinny guy. I said, how you doing, man? Would you, uh, I'd love to buy some lunch. And he just looks up to me in the most eloquent uh, speech. He goes, oh, well, that would be excellent. I would love that. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and, I, and I go, okay, well, uh, I said, uh, what would you like? And then I'm like, man, if I'm going to do this, I'm going for the gusto. And I go, I looked him straight in the eyes and I go, dude, I'll buy you anything you want. 
And so he goes, okay. He goes, well, I'd like two large cheeseburgers with bacon. I'd like a, a chocolate milkshake, fries, and a salad. And I'm like, dang, man, that's twice as much as what I paid for my lunch. But, all right, so I went and I got his lunch and I brought it back to him and I started conversing with him a little bit. And, uh, and, I, and I looked at him and I said, you know what? I said, I just want you to know, I bought you this lunch not because I'm a good guy, but because I just love Jesus and I just felt like he wanted me to give you some lunch. And he goes, and I, and I was thinking, yes, man, this is going to be out of the park. This guy's going to get saved right here, Carl's Jr. Todd. I'm going to have this great example. And the guy looks at me and he goes, awesome. He goes, I'm a Buddhist. I'm a Christian too. <laughs> and I, I was thinking to myself, all right, so I can say to this guy, all right, I can say, no, that's not true. Buddhist is a cult. You're going to hell, man. It's not about Jesus. But I thought a little bit more smarter, and I said, oh, really? So Buddhists believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, too. And he looks at me, and he goes, no. He said, no. He said, that's not true at all. He said, what your, what your truth is to you is not the same as what my truth is to me. He said, truth is all relative. Depends on the situation, depends on the person, depends on, on the time. And as we converse back and forth, I could see I, this guy was not ripe. This guy was not ripe. But... I said to him in, in departing, I said, you know what? I, I think uh, we can just call it good. But I just, I just want you to know uh, that Jesus loves you. And I walked out. And I thought to myself afterwards, you know, is that the right thing to do? I mean, I think God was telling me to do it, and I did it. Uh, <clears throat> and as I thought back, uh, he, he said, I said, can you eat all that? And he goes, yeah, I'll, I'll eat it all. I'll just sit here and read books and, and, you know, do some work and stuff. He had a bag of stuff. And I thought afterwards, well... Not only did I buy that guy lunch, but I bought him air conditioning. Not only did I buy him air conditioning, but I bought him a place to sit that was comfortable. Not only did I buy him a place that was sit to comfort that was comfortable, but I probably gave him the whole afternoon there at Carl's Jr. because he had his receipt. I gave it to him, and they couldn't kick him out because he had bought food there. And I thought, you know what? If nothing else, I gave him lunch, a good atmosphere, and Jesus. Jesus is ringing in his mind. The words of Jesus. And this is the kind of stuff, man, that if you listen to the Holy Spirit, this Holy Spirit that speaks to you, this is the kind of stuff that you can have happen to you day in and day out. And I'm telling you, it's awkward. It was awkward for me yesterday. It'll be awkward for you tomorrow when you try it. All right. You know what? I'm not going to get through these other verses. I'm just going to summarize them. And you can read them on your own as, uh, as we go through here. But... This whole section of Isaiah 53, 7 and 8 about the prophecy of the suffering servant. This is all about Jesus suffering and dying, rising again for us, for our sins. And, and Philip is able to, to talk to him and explain this from the Old Testament. And the reason he's able to do that, and I want you to know this before I, I go down here. The reason he's able to do that is because this whole book, this whole book, I firmly believe from the beginning to the end is about Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ, beginning of Old Testament to end of Old Testament, talking about and preparing the time for when Jesus Christ will come. Beginning of New Testament to end of Old Testament, it's all about Jesus Christ and his relationship, his desired relationship with us. And this is what Philip laid out for this guy, and the Ethiopian becomes a saved man because of it. And lastly, and this is where I'll close, verse 39 uh, can you put 39 up there, please? There we go. Verse 39, it says, He got baptized. I'll just leave it at that. And at the end, 
it says, the eunuch saw Philip no more, and the eunuch went on his way rejoicing. So to close, I'd like to tell you this. Rejoicing is the mark of a redeemed person. It's the joy and the peace of a saved life. If you're not a Christian this morning, know that you are invited into that joy today. Know that you are here for a reason, that God is wooing you. He is drawing you to himself because he loves you and he wants to offer his freedom for you today. Freedom from sin that binds you. Freedom to love like he intended you to. Freedom from addictions. Freedom to leave behind your own life and to gain a new life in Jesus Christ. If you have questions, please find someone in this church and ask the tough questions. If they don't know the answer, they'll come to Todd and he'll help us find the answers. If you need to pray with someone in the back as the music begins here in a few minutes, please go back there and pray with someone. Even if it's just, I don't know what this is all about. What the heck is Brian talking about? Please go and talk to somebody. Because all of this, all of what we are talking about is about Jesus. It's all about his mercy. It's all about his grace. And these things are all for you and for me. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you for this time that I can come up here and speak about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. Everything, anything, it's all about you. And I praise you. I praise you for coming down on this earth, for hanging on that cross, God, for saving me from my sin, Jesus. I love you, and I I just am so thankful for your love for me, God, and for these people. God, show us your fresh mercy. Show us your fresh grace today. In your name, amen.